Good morning, church. New name, church. Restoration Community Church. Uh, my name is Jack Hager. That is actually my real name. My real name is Shaquille, like Shaquille O'Neal. Um, and I am, like what Chris said, one of the pastors at Garden City Church. Church. It's a new church plant that's on the north side of Pittsburgh. We're about to approach the year, um, and we're excited. But anyhow, it is uh, my honor to bring you God's word this morning. Um, in our time together, we're going to be walking through a chapter of the Psalms. How many of you guys like the Psalms? Yes, I love the Psalms. The Psalms help us bridge the gap between a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. It gives us the language to name and express the conditions of our heart, our minds, and even our bodies. Currently, I am in a season of unexpected grief, busyness, and new responsibilities. With the recent murder of my youngest brother, um, parenting a new foster son, um, caring for my wife, caring for church members, and starting grad school in a week and a half, it is extremely easy to divorce myself from care, and even God. And to be honest, I don't know what to do with all the discomfort and chaos, nor do I know how to start the process to heal. I'm just saying it as a really, I'm just opening up to you guys. I'm, I am human. I am um, standing here before you. I don't know everything about God. I don't know how he works, but I'm just being honest with you all. But in the meantime, I need old crafted prayers that interpret my current circumstance. And maybe you're in the same situation. Maybe you need a psalm-inspired prayer that emphasizes with your present discomfort. Amen? Amen? So today we're going to dive into Psalm 44. I'm not going to read it yet, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of that story on the psalm, and then we'll kind of read it together, and we'll pray, and then we'll kind of go into um, expounding on that. So Psalm 44 is not an individual lament, it's communal. The psalm is a nation's lament. The Israelites were just defeated in battle. They had been completely decimated and humiliated by the destruction of their armies and their spreading among the nation. Nevertheless, the psalm was written then to express the suffering and sorrows of a godly community as well as to help reorient the people of Israel to God's activity and deliverance. So when we start to dissect Psalm 44, we need to notice that it is naturally divided into four parts. So one of them is, first, is God's care and provision for Israel's past. Second, um, is their present condition contrasts sadly with their glorious past. And third is Israel expresses their protest of innocence. And fourth, Israel offers an earnest petition for God's intervention. So when we read and contemplate on Psalm 44, I encourage you to take part in this psalm. Not with just your mind, but also your heart and your past and present experiences. 
put yourself in a, in a narrative and emphasize with Israel as they vocalized their concerns and suffering. So if you have your Bibles, if not, um, you can read it on your phone, um, and we're going to just read Psalm 44 together, then we'll pray. So it starts off like this. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days and long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors and crushed the people and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did the arm, their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face where you loved them. You are my king and my God, you who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, you push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. And God, we make our boast all day long. And we praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy. And our adversaries have plundered us. You have given us up to be devoured like sheep. You have scattered in a Scattered us among the nations, you have sold your people for repentance, gaining nothing for their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and the derosion of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, the people shake their head at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who was bent on revenge. All this came upon us. Though we have not forgotten you, we have not been false to your covenant. Our hearts have not turned back. Our feet have not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we have forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. Who are considered, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and begin our misery and oppression? We have brought, we are brought down to dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us before, because of your unbelieving love. Let's pray. God, you are good, and God, we just bring all of ourselves to you this morning, every part of ourselves to you. God, we ask you to help us understand what you are calling for us to read, and I pray that your spirit will be with us. So guide us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first one, uh, as we will read in verse 1 through 8, we will read about Israel's glorious past. The psalmist begins his liturgy by recounting the distant past, how God delivered and acted on the behalf of their ancestors. Those fathers were careful to tell what God did in the generations past. 
I can imagine this being something special for Israel's children. I don't know if many of you have children, but just imagine right before the kids would drift off to dream, their parents would shower them with stories of God's victories and promises. That just sounds so wonderful. Right before a kid goes to sleep, the father or the mother will speak to them about God. This section certainly describes the time when God led Israel out of Egypt and into Canaan, which is the promised land, and drove out other nations who tried war and violence. This reminds me of Israel's conquest in the days of Joshua. There when Israel did nothing, God did all the work. There were other times where Israel had to fight, but their fighting would, would be nothing with them. It would be God's right hand leading them to the promised land. I love verse 3 when the psalmist says, it was not by their sword that they won the battle or won the land, nor did they their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face where you love them. In verse 5 to 8, the defeated king or general picks up the theology of verse 3 and adds his commitment to it. He shares with the community the present trust and confidence of the Lord that was built upon past events of God's care and power. He says, You are my king and my God through you, through your name. You gave us victory, and God, we make our boasts. It is a beautiful testimony to the faith of this community as they remember God's miracles for them. But the psalm does not end there. There is a, there is a significant pause here. It's the word Selah. That word Selah means to pause and reflect. There is a new trend of thought that is beginning in the next verse. No longer are we hearing instruments and singing, but rather, but rather weeping in despair. Verse 9 through 16 turns from adoration, from praising God, to wrestling with suffering. The psalmist in verse, verses 9 to 16 now expresses his confusion and frustration with God. He says, but now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You can hear the distress and disappointment of God's people. Notice the reputation of the word you. The psalmist complains about the present pain and its disconnection from God's past redemption. They felt that God did not fight for Israel, and therefore they were without hope in battle. The key to prevailing over their enemies was first prevail with God. Have you ever experienced this, where you know and heard and seen the hand of God move, and then suddenly his hand sees an active in a desperate time of need, hoping he would act and not delay? I know I have, where I've heard people who have taught me the Bible, or have seen God move, but right when I want him to do something, 
He seems quiet. He seems inactive. He seems to go on vacation. But with every line of verse 10 to 16, the psalmist expresses the graphic description of God overseeing the defeat and utter humiliation of the nation. In verses 10 to 11, the first description of Israel event is the military defeat. The people were plundered and slaughtered like sheep. In verse 12 to 13, the second description of Israel event is the exile and slavery of the people. In verses 14 to 15, the third description of Israel's lament is the national shame that was caused by the battle loss. Shame carried a greater significance for the Israelites than other nations, since Israel had the task by God to keep a pure reputation as a testimony to the world of the holiness of their God. Shame was what they felt. In verses 16 to 17, the fourth description of Israel lament is the personal shame of the psalmist. In addition to caring for the community, the psalmist doesn't stuff his struggles, but he verbalizes his lament of shame and ruin. He tells God, where are you? Why is this happening to us? But in 17 and 22, doesn't just stay there. We are starting to see this protest of innocence. They go to God with their problems. The psalmist felt compelled to tell God that despite the feeling that they had been forsaken, that they had not abandoned God. They reminded him and remained faithful to his covenant. The mention of the covenant was a special purpose. If you are a Jewish person, the covenant is special. It's everything. Under the old covenant, God promised to bless an obedient Israel. And if they did not be obedient, God would curse a disobedient Israel. The psalmist implies that God must be faithful to his part of the covenant because Israel has been faithful to their part. He expresses to the Lord, we have not been false to your covenant. Our hearts have not turned back. Our feet have not strayed from your path. He is essentially saying, we have been faithful. Why is this happening to us? Or if you read this prayer, or, or this Psalm 44, it may sound like this. I faithfully love my spouse, but our marriage is falling apart. I've honored you with my life, but why isn't the fruit of my desires coming forth? Or I fasted and prayed for that cancer that it would leave, but it's still here. We all have questions. We all have concerns about the way God moves in and through our life. It's in these moments that the stories in the Bible, the promises we hear, the songs we sing, feel distant 
and even fake. Sometimes, hopelessness creates a tendency to no longer talk to God about repeated sorrows, but expressing them to God. Expressing your sorrows to God is incredibly helpful. It's helpful. These people who are a community of believers, like us, they appear to God by protesting their innocence to Him. But also they were perplexed about His inactivity, about His activeness in their life. We need to be like them. We need to be people who protest our innocence to God while holding the mystery of God. As we read this, it is very clear to see that the righteous are suffering. And God is allowing it. God most certainly could have intervened. He has done so in the past and He can do it again. But for some reason, God is not intervening. Why? That is the most difficult thing to bear as believers, knowing that God exists and is active, but chooses at times not to act. In addition to that, there are times when the righteous do suffer with no answers and no explanations. That's the hardest thing to bear. I'm bearing that right now. I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for a solution for my suffering. But God is quiet. He's there, but He's quiet. Again, that is the hardest thing to bear. But, 23 through 26, Israel brings their petition for God's intervention. Israel had faith in God who can intervene, who sees all, who cares. So knowing that, they turn to God for help. She brings, Israel brings her lament before him. In utter despair, she cries out for her one true hope, God. These faithful faithful Israelites are longing for a second exodus, a deliverance from the nation, and a vindication for their trust in God. They were using human-like language to get God's attention. They said, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. He goes on to say, rise up and help us because of your unfailing love. Help us. Rise up. Wake up. The psalmist claims to trust in God's unfailing love on the basis of what God has done in the past. A confidence that has made it possible to pray in the first place. I'm going to say it again. The psalmist clings to trust 
in God's unfailing love, on the basis of what God has done in the past, a confidence that made it possible to pray in the first place. Notice that as they are praying that nothing is changing in their battle. So it seems, except that the psalmist chooses to trust in God even in their pain and disappointment. He makes his final appeal not based on what Israel deserves, but for the sake of God's unfailing love. This is a level of discipleship that I hope to get to in my life, where I am feeling suffering, where I'm feeling disappointment, where I'm feeling confusion and disorientation, that I can choose to still be faithful, that I can choose to bring my questions to God and trust Him. I hope that I can get to that place. Not there now, but I hope that I can get to that place later in my life where I can be faithful to God regardless of what suffering may bring. Now you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with us? My life is good right now. My life is steady. Well, I have three things that can help us walk through this tension of lament and trust. The first thing is, the righteous will suffer. That's just kind of, throw that out there, the, the righteous will suffer. The idea that people would do good will get good, and that suffering is a result of personal sin, is wrong. The suffering, the righteous suffer sometimes because God is disciplining them, Sometimes the world is just a broken place, and sometimes the wicked hate the righteous for being righteous. Regardless of why we suffer, the fact is that the righteous will suffer. So don't be surprised when suffering arrives at your doorstep. So when it does arrive, our proper response ought to be lament. Lament is the spirit-inspired way to respond to suffering. We should go before God in faith and describe the problems to Him. Tell Him everything. Everything. All the things that don't make sense, including your raw emotions. Sometimes, as Christians, we articulate really good prayers and we hide what's really behind our heart of like God right now it feels like you're rejecting me right now I'm praying for this and you're not moving God needs to hear the raw emotions that you are feeling and guess what he's capable of handling it right we sometimes think that if I bring this to God maybe he won't like me Maybe he won't love me, or maybe he just won't give me any time. But God is saying, bring it. Tell me. Tell me it. Now, it may not change your circumstance. That's the hard thing. It may not change your circumstance. But it will point you to a God who cares. I'm going to say it again. It might not change your circumstance. It might not change my circumstance but it will point me to a God who cares. 
Restoration Community Church, don't waste your suffering. We are so quick to let our pain define us. We complain, we moan, and we cling to the negative lies that pain tells us. And they leave us spiritually and emotionally handicapped. But viewing our circumstance through the lens of a sovereign and compassionate God changes our view of self, the world, the person sitting next to you, and also God. Don't waste your suffering. Two, God's inaction is not a sign of faithlessness. God's inaction is not a sign of faithlessness. Just because God isn't speaking doesn't mean he's not present and active. Now, in the mystery of God, I don't understand. I want to be honest with you and not pretend that I'm certain about the way God moves in and through the world because there's a lot of things I don't know and understand about God. And there are a lot of things that are unsaid about his being that I just don't know or how to describe. I think that it is okay. As a pastor, it is very okay to not know a lot of things, to know everything. And I'm pretty sure Chris feels the pressure as much as I do to know everything about God. And I just want to let you know it is okay not to know how God moves. But I can tell you this. He's, he knows, he sees, and he cares about you. What you are experiencing, what you are going through, God does see that. In the Bible, he tells us that he knows all the numbers of hairs on our head. If he can do that, if he knows how many pieces of hair are on my head, doesn't that mean that he actually cares about the way my body is moving in and through the world? He knows you better than you know yourself. And he is very capable of bringing deliverance and showing off his mercies to you, even if you think otherwise. He's very capable. He is a very smart God. Very wise and funny too, but yes, God is very capable. He sees you in your circumstance. And third, trust is the compass to God's faithfulness. Trust is the compass of God's faithfulness. When you're facing the need for deliverance, Trust can fill the space in your mind and heart with a new focus. Rather than merely mourning your sense of powerlessness, you can acknowledge and consider the track record of God's faithfulness and the past to speak hope to your present circumstance. This is what we need to rest on, the faithfulness of God. Our suffering needs to hear the eternal hope of Christ. Our suffering needs to hear that there is an answer to our suffering. That's God. A pastor who serves in Indiana once said this, read the quote, Trust is believing what you know to be true, even though the facts of suffering may call the belief into question. Lament keeps us turning towards trust by giving us language to step into the wilderness 
between our painful reality and our hopeful longing. Again, trust is believing that whatever it is, I'm choosing to trust and believe that God is with me. I know you guys know the Romans 8 chapter where Paul kind of talks about hardship and then wraps it all up with the promises of God and God's redemptive plan for that. He basically says this, what shall separate us from the love of God? We know that really well. Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, Peter reminds us that whatever that may go through our life, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Again, that we know that a lot because it's elevated music for most of us, but it's actually true that regardless of what we're going through, nothing can pull us away from the hand of God. So that is my encouragement to you as you look at Psalm 44, that God does see you. He knows you cares about you, that he is with you in the suffering that you are experiencing now. So let us pray and then we can kind of move on our time with some reflection. So let's pray. God, we just take some time to slow down. I know, God, there was some things that were juggling with uh, the computer, God, but I pray that whatever that you want to speak to your people, I pray that you would encourage them to know that you are with them, that you call them forth to tell them that do not be afraid because I am with you, that you are Emmanuel, that you are close, that you are present, that you are near, even when it doesn't feel like it. To remind us, God, this morning that we can bring all of ourselves to you, that we can bring all of our questions, that we can bring all of our doubts, and you are very capable of holding it all together. So encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.